Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are able to make it out to this morning. We're a little bit of a smaller crew today, but that's okay. Hopefully there's tons of you watching us online. Excited about that. Today is a good day, uh, and we've got a really amazing uh, time together today, I think. Um, hopefully some of the youth made their way down there. I don't know how many youth we had, uh, but they're having a youth Sunday school downstairs. Uh, so hopefully that goes well for them as well. Well, I remember... Uh, when I was a kid, uh, probably around uh, 10 years old, 11 years old or so, my mom used to take us to this place called the Pine Theater. And it was a second-run movie theater. I don't know if you guys know about this. My wife used to work in one in Edmonton. But it's those movie theaters where you can go watch a movie for like a dollar because they've already been in the main theaters where you'd spend like, you know, you'd have to give them your first child to get into that movie. But they went to, after a while, they went to this second run theater where it only cost like a buck or two to go there. Now the snacks were crazy costly, uh, but uh, to get into the theater it was very cheap. And I remember going to this Pine Theater uh, back in the late 1980s, and I think we went and watched Back to the Future, which was an awesome movie back then. I remember there was so much hustle and bustle. They, they had the, those dollar theaters usually had a little more emphasis on the snacks because that's how they made their money. Uh, so this one, the Pine Theater, you bought your snacks in the theater. So like inside the theater, there was a big old concession stand. So people would be buying their snacks there. And they weren't like normal rows like in a normal movie theater. They were all kind of rows around tables so that you could buy like some serious snacks and have these snacks at the tables. So it's lots of fun. There's lots of hustle and bustle. People are going around getting their food. Uh, people are talking to their friends. Back then, nobody had cell phones, and so everybody had to talk to each other. And so people were talking to each other, so it was noisy, and there were kids there, because you wouldn't want to take your kids to the expensive theaters. So usually at the, the Pine, there were like tons of kids. So there's tons of kids, and there's hustle and bustle, and there's food everywhere, and it seemed pretty loud and chaotic. But then... There'd be this moment where the lights would begin to get low. And the people would quiet down because they knew that the big show was about to start. The atmosphere was almost electric as people anticipated the movie screen coming on and all of a sudden this amazing thing would happen. I remember as a kid being so excited. Now this was, this was a while back, right? And we didn't have screens all over the place. I think I had a black and white TV at home. There were color TVs. I'm not that old, but I think we had a black and white one at home. And so it was exciting to see this movie. It's exciting to see these, these movie characters 30 feet tall on the screen. It's exciting to hear the booming sound, to have the, the amazing special effects going on. Everything was so vibrant and exciting and loud, and it was so wonderful and joyous. As the lights went down, we all would hold our breath in eager anticipation for what was to come. A couple thousand years ago, over 500 years before the birth of Jesus, the nation of Israel had this kind of anticipation. Back in their past, Israel had experienced a golden age, around the time of King David and King Solomon. Back in their past, way, way back, they remembered this time when David was king and he established the city of Jerusalem as the center of all of Israel. 
He brought unrivaled military success. Everything that he put his hand to seemed to be successful. No one could stand against the nation of Israel when David was in charge. And then King David's son, Solomon, became king. And Solomon built the temple and he ruled with unparalleled wisdom, often thought of as the wisest person who ever existed. He expanded the commerce of Israel and and reached deep into other lands like Egypt and places beyond. The city of Jerusalem was a sight to behold and, and the temple that Solomon built was like none other. But in the years to follow, there was this gradual continual chipping away of this great nation, eventually resulting in the nation splitting into two and both halves eventually going into captivity, being taken into into other nations as slaves. And then after many years, after many years of captivity, God brought his people back from exile as he had promised And here we have the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you ever read these stories in the Bible, these are the stories of God bringing his people back out of exile. Ezra was the priest, the priest of God who came and he oversaw the the rebuilding of the temple of God. Nehemiah was the servant who was serving the king of Persia and came from there back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and then to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. As the nation of Israel began to return from exile and rebuild, they began to anticipate that maybe, maybe the former days of glory would return. Now, all this history that I just shared with you, from David to Solomon to the captivity to the return from captivity, all of that time took hundreds of years. Generations of people came and went through this golden age and then through the chipping away years and then through the years of captivity and then into the years of the return. Generation upon generation came and went. And now here, as Israel has come back to the nation, back to Jerusalem, this new generation sits at the cusp of something great. The people are returning to Israel. The temple and the city are being rebuilt. And now, God, we ask, would you do what you do so best? Would you return your glory to the people of Israel? (coughs) Return them to number one. There was a, a great deal of anticipation, as you can understand, as the people come back to Israel, as they see God keeping his promise of bringing the people out of exile. But as time went on, and as a generation went by, There was still no golden age for Israel. There was still no glory. It's like the lights turned down low and the atmosphere became electric and the people of Israel began to hold their breath in anticipation. But then they kept holding their breath and they kept holding their breath. But the big show never started. You know how hard it is to hold on to joy when the show never starts? See, joy is kind of like a candle you hold out into the darkness. And, and, and oftentimes the candle sheds light and, and dispels the darkness. But sometimes over time, that joy begins to flicker. And sometimes the darkness feels especially dark. 
Now, the prophets were still alive and well in Israel during this time. They were still prophesying. Most of the minor prophets prophesied during this time of the return of Israel into Jerusalem. These minor prophets kept telling the people, repent, follow God, obey his commands, do what you know is right. The prophets called the people to return to faithfulness and to focus their eyes on God. God has not abandoned you, Israel. But goodness gracious, it was hard slogging most days. Israel was a shadow of its former glory. Enter into this scene the prophet Malachi. Now, Malachi was an amazing prophet. He's the last prophet to speak corporately to the nation of Israel before the real days of darkness begin to settle in. You'll find the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. And here in the book of Malachi, we have recorded the last words of God corporately to his people before the New Testament. And if your Bible is anything like my Bible, in between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there's just one thin little page. On mine, it just says the New Testament. But there's just one tiny little page in between these two books. But this one tiny little page represents 400 years of silence and darkness. Between the last words of Malachi and the first words of Matthew were 400 years where God did not speak corporately to the people of Israel. 400 years of silence and darkness. Generations upon generations upon generations of Israelites waiting in the darkness, breath held, holding out a flickering candle of joy, waiting for God to show up and for the big show to begin. But why were they waiting? What was it about these Israelites that caused them to wait for what God was going to do? Well, in Malachi, in this last book, in this last prophetic word to the nation of Israel, there's a prophecy, and it's a fantastic prophecy. It's an amazing prophecy. Look here with me as we read the last words of God in the Old Testament to his people Israel. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace, which is a big candle, right? That seems like crazy. <coughs> Can I have my water? It's right next to you, Farrell. I'm just going to take a drink. I'm, I'm over my cold, but this cough, goodness, I don't know if you guys have had a cough that just as lingers. It seems to be the thing. <coughs> and I'm using my big boy voice today, so it's, uh, it's hard. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Okay, now you've got to understand who this prophecy is for. Okay, so we're just going to stop for a moment here, because death and destruction doesn't sound like a really fantastic thing, does it? And that's what this is saying. God's going to set them all on fire. So that sounds terrible. But you've got to realize that this prophecy is being written to the battered and bruised Israelites who are holding out anticipation for God to return. The day of the Lord is coming. 
and the day of the Lord is where God will make everything right again. This was good news. Israel was praying for their enemies to be destroyed and for them to be lifted up again. And this is what the prophecy says. God is going to come and he's going to get rid of every evildoer and he's going to... Let's read on. Here's what he does. But for you, here's what God says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at, at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Okay, so the day of the Lord is coming when the sun of righteousness will rise. And Israel, Israel is called to remember the law, remember the commandments, follow God's law, and soon Elijah will come to lead the way to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the children to their parents, and God will usher in the day of the Lord. How joyous of a promise is that? That's the last word of God corporately to Israel. Here's what's about to happen. It's a good prophecy. It's a good promise to Israel. All of Israel prepared itself to be ready for the coming of the day of the Lord. Will it be tomorrow? Will it be next week? When will this day come? Well, that's how Malachi ends. The day of the Lord is coming, but then 400 years go by. 400 years. Not 400 empty years. Stuff happens in those years. But 400 years where God is corporately silent to the people of Israel. Now, for those of you that are interested in history, I want to tell you what happens in those 400 years because it's actually super exciting. It's very intriguing. I find it a really interesting story. So if you're not interested in history, you can kind of tune out here for a moment. But if you are, listen to what happens in those 400 years. Okay. There are six eras that happen in those 400 years, in that 400-year time span for the Israelites, six eras. The first era is the Persian Empire. Now, that's happening as we hear the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. Malachi is prophesying during the Persian Empire, okay? So the Persian Empire here, this is the group that God uses to bring the Israelites out of exile. Actually, the, Israel, the, the Persian Empire subsidizes the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. It's amazing. It's as if a blank check is written for Ezra and Nehemiah from the Persian king to go and rebuild Jerusalem. It's fantastic. So that's the first of the eras <coughs> during this time. It's at this time that the people hear the prophecy of Malachi, that God is going to bring the day of the Lord. This is going to happen. The Son of Righteousness will come with healing in its wings. But then, following the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire arises. Alexander the Great leads the Greek Empire to take the land, and he takes much land, and he takes over Israel. During this time, he wants to make everything Greek. Greek is the best, 
And so he makes everything Greek. He actually translates the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, into Greek, which is called the Septuagint, which is a version that, of the Old Testament that persists even to today. This actually splits the Israelites. There are some that look at this New Greek, uh, New Test, uh, Old Testament, and they go, we don't like that. We want to stick with the old Hebrew one. But there are also some that go, we don't like the old Hebrew. We're going to go with the, the New Greek. And so it splits them into these two groups, those that hold to the Hebrew and those that hold to the Greek. In time, we enter into the Egyptian era that takes over after the Greek Empire. The Egyptian era, Empire rises up where this split between these two Israelite groups widens. The one group calls themselves the Hellenistic or Greek Jews. And on the other side, they call themselves the Hasidic Jews. They also call themselves the pious ones. What a great name, hey? So there's those Greek Jews and there's us, the pious ones, the really good ones, the ones that are actually holding on to the law. Both of these groups, outward, the outward, uh, the the, the, the uh, both of these groups emphasize outward devotion to God. They don't talk much about the heart or the inward de devotion to God. They talk about the way that you act. They emphasize the way that you act. You need to act right. You need to follow the rules and look good. They even begin to write extra commandments to add on to the Old Testament so that we make sure that we're acting properly. It's actually in this time, these pious ones, that's the beginning of what we will eventually come to find as the Pharisees. And this happens in the next era. In the Syrian empire, as the Syrian era comes up, uh, there is an increased struggle between the pious ones and the Greek ones. There's this increased um, a, a, a struggle between the two. And because of the in increased struggle between the two, the Syrian ruler Antiochus comes to Jerusalem to kind of shut things down. But the way that he does this, he thinks the best way to stop these two groups from infighting is to go into the temple and make an offering, a sacrifice to the god Zeus. So he goes into God's temple and he, he just like almost, like basically defiles it uh, by making a sacrifice in there to the false god Zeus. Now, when this happens, the pious ones really pull themselves together. They become the Pharisees at this point, and they begin to lead Israel because they're seeing this, this craziness happening with this, this king that comes in to offer this sacrifice to Zeus. The Pharisees really rise up as leaders within Israel. But there's another group that rises up as well during this time. The other group that rises up during this time is a band of rebels called the Maccabees. The Maccabees. And so this enters in the Maccabean era, era. Led by a father and three sons who are Maccabees, the, the Maccabees liberate Jerusalem. They come in, they kick out the Syrians. They cleanse the temple and they restore worship to God. They call Israel back to, to going, going to follow God. They, they double down on strictness. And so that's why the Pharisees kind of rise up to rule during this time. This was seen as a mini golden age in Israel, which went on for many years, for many years. Now, today, I don't know if you know this or not, but every year Jewish people around the world today celebrate this rededication of the temple that happened as the celebration of Hanukkah. 
That's what they're celebrating. So Hanukkah is remembering the Maccabees going into Israel and, and, and basically rededicating Israel to God. So that's what Hanukkah celebration is. It starts next Sunday. So Jewish people around the world remember this time when the temple and Jerusalem was rededicated to God. But then, in 63 BC, the Roman era began, where the Roman Empire came back in, retook Jerusalem, and put the Israelites under their rule. You can see in these 400 years, hope and heartbreak, joy and sorrow, triumph and tragedy. For these 400 years or so, the people, for the most part, held on to the anticipation for the promise of Malachi to come true. They, they maybe thought it was about to happen with the Maccabees, but it didn't. Joy flickered. Joy flickered in the candle against darkness. They were hoping for the sun of righteousness to rise with healing in its wings. They were devoting themselves to the law, doubling down on it. Most of the time they were. And they awaited the coming of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the children to their parents and to usher in the day of the Lord. Can you imagine waiting for 400 years for the promise of God to come true? I mean, none of us could wait that long, right? There'd be generation of generation of generation. We'd say, oh, we've been waiting since my great, 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 great granddaddy. For all these years, we've been waiting. And yes, some had given up hope. Others were relying on a political or religious power to save the Israelites. Some had kind of gone away from God altogether. But many were still waiting for the Lord to come and save his people. But you guys know what it looks like when hope is deferred, right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's the proverb. Joy unrealized is like a candle struggling in the darkness. And as the darkness creeps in heavier and heavier and heavier, it seems like the darkness will overcome the light. After a mini golden age, the Israelite people are once again under the thumb of ignorant, godless heathen. But then something strange happens. Then something amazing happens. The Gospel of Luke talks about a priest named Zechariah. You guys have heard about Zechariah? He's in all the Christmas stories. There's this priest named Zechariah who has a wife named Elizabeth. They're a childless married couple whom Luke describes as well along in years. So I don't know how old they are, but they're well along in years. One day when it was time for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies, which was their tradition, every year they'd send a priest into the Holy of Holies. They'd actually tie a, a rope to his leg because if he died when he was before the altar of God, they can pull him out, right? So, but every year there was a, a priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and this year, this year it was Zechariah's turn. He was called to go before the altar of God and offer a sacrifice. And so when he goes in, he has to go into the holy place, which is through the first curtain. And then he has to go through the second curtain into the Holy of Holies. And he goes in there, and, and it's like, no, there's only one person, it's just him. But when he gets in there, there's somebody else in there. An angel of the Lord is standing in the Holy of Holies. Here is what the angel of the Lord says to Zechariah. Listen carefully. 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy. Isn't that good? He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Watch. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. (coughs) Do you guys see what I see here? Do you see what's happening? Does this not sound familiar to you? This is one of the first things. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four Gospels that are all written about the same time zone, right? So for the, from, from the prophet Malachi, the last words from the prophet Malachi, all the way 400 years later, we have some of the very first words of Luke saying this, that there's a son that's about to be born who will be like the prophet Elijah, who will turn the the parents to their children. This is amazing. This is amazing. And Zechariah can't believe his ears. 400 years. He knew this prophecy of Malachi. It's the last thing God said to Israel. He knew it. He was holding on to hope. He was holding on to joy. But here, he's in the presence of this angel in the Holy of Holies, and he can't believe his ears. Of course he can't. It's been 400 years. The prophecy of Malachi that Zechariah's son is going to be the Elijah who's supposed to repair the way of the Lord for the day of the Lord. He actually can't believe his ears so much that he says, I can't, I can't believe it. And the angel makes him not able to talk. <laughs> so get this. After 400 years of silence, a message comes from God to the priest and he can't tell anyone. He can't tell anybody what he just heard. He's unable to then turn to anybody and say, hey, the prophecy of Malachi, it's happening. He can't because he can't talk. After 400 years, Zechariah has heard the Lord and he can't tell anyone. But then he gets nine months to ponder. He gets nine months to ponder because Elizabeth does get pregnant and nine months go by. Nine months of silence for Zechariah. It's nothing like the 400 years of silence they just walked through. But can you imagine being Zechariah, not able to tell anybody what's going on for nine months? John is finally born, and, and finally, Zechariah's mouth is opened. He's able to speak, and he prophesies. And here's, he's, had, he's had nine months to get this ready, right? So he's ready. Here's what Zechariah prophesies. It's, it's in Luke, right here in Luke. Zechariah says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Wow! To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Peace. 
The rising sun will come to us from heaven. That's Malachi. Nobody would mistake that. Everybody would know exactly what Zechariah is saying at this time. To shine on those living in darkness. Well, that's from another prophecy. So, so when, when Zechariah had his nine months, I'm sure he was sitting there thinking about what is he going to say. Well, he pulls out another Christmas time prophecy out of Isaiah this time, where Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, and they were, 400 years of darkness, a light has dawned. In that same chapter, in that same prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Nobody at all had any, any, any inkling of doubt of what Zechariah was saying here. They knew what he was saying. 400 years later, after Malachi's prophecy, the lights began to go down. The atmosphere became electric and the people held their breath again. And yes, they've been holding their breath for 400 years and longer even before that. People have been looking forward to the Messiah for so many thousands of years. And yes, hope had been deferred and the hearts of the, of the people were sick with waiting and darkness had crept in upon that little flickering light, barely able to hold its own against the darkness. But now listen, right after Zechariah's prophecy, right after Zechariah prophesies from Malachi and Isaiah, here's what Luke records. Like immediately, right away. So this, this prophecy from Zechariah goes to the end of chapter 1. Chapter 2, look at this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It's been 400 years and there's been no message from God. But here these shepherds are living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around. The, the sky just becomes, breaks forth, right? The sky opens up 30 foot tall. It's booming sound on the speakers. Like the, the, it's not even CGI. It's not even special effects. It's real. It's happening. Boom, it's right there in, in so much vivid color. The sky becomes like day and there's this shining that happens. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And of course, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And as if this first part wasn't big enough, as if the glory of the Lord shining and the angel appearing wasn't big enough, it says suddenly a great company, likely thousands of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 400 years. God had a plan all along. And at just the right time, the Son of Righteousness came from heaven with healing in his wings. And I like to imagine the shepherds at this moment. Luke says that they hurried off to the manger to find this baby. And I always imagine them running and possibly leaping their way to the manger like calves released from the stall 
like Malachi said. Jesus has come into the world, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings. Good news that will cause great joy indeed. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you've been holding your breath for such a long time for the breakthrough to happen in your life. Maybe it's been a few years since you've heard the voice of the Lord. Maybe you've been holding on to hope, but it's getting a little late in the day. Maybe you've been straining for joy, but darkness is feeling heavier and heavier and heavier each day. And I want you to listen to me. It's the same message now that Jesus has come. He is the good news that brings great joy. And I know that the stuff of this world can get heavy and hard. And I'm not going to pretend right now that Jesus just takes all that away. That all of a sudden, if you trust in Jesus, it just gets easy. Because it doesn't. Actually, sometimes when you begin to follow Jesus, it gets harder. So I'm not going to promise that he takes all the hard stuff away. But this is what I will promise you. That Jesus meets you right in the darkest place. That he meets you right in the darkest place. For the Israelites, there had been 400 years of darkness and the darkness had gotten bad. Like it had gotten bad. You guys know what it would be like with, the, with, with that small, mini golden age that when you're given kind of a little taste of hope, a little taste of joy, things break through and then it's taken away again, how devastating that would be. You, you understand that. They hear 400 years of darkness had happened. But Jesus showed up right in the middle of that darkness. And Jesus wants to show up right in the middle of our darkness as well. The Son of Righteousness will come with healing in His wings and He comes here for you. So I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to do something with me. I want you to be honest with Jesus about where you're at. Don't, don't put on the mask and pretend. It doesn't really work with Jesus don't pretend like things are hunky-dory and everything's just fine and, and the world's just spinning the way it should be. Be honest with Jesus about where you're at right now. If things are going well, be honest with Jesus. It's going well, Jesus. Thank you. But likely there's stuff. There's some darkness. There's some stuff there that you've been holding out hope for, you've been holding out joy for, and it just seems like it's getting hard. So be honest with Jesus right now about where you're at. I want you to take a moment. If you just take a moment right now and just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to picture Jesus coming to you wherever you are right now. Take whatever you might be dealing with and just let Jesus meet you in that space. Let Jesus be the light that breaks through into your life right now. So just take one moment of silence here. And picture Jesus meeting you right in the darkest space right now. Jesus, as we sit in this space and your light breaks through the darkness... As we, as we 
realize the promise of Malachi that the Son of Righteousness will come with healing in His wings. Help us to experience Your presence right now. Help us to know Your goodness. Help us to know Your love. Help us to experience great joy in You, Jesus. And we know that, that it's not always true that the darkness just disappears. But we know, Lord, that your light overwhelms the darkness. And so come, Son of Righteousness, with healing in your wings. Come and invade these spaces where we've been holding on to something for so long it feels like it's not going to happen. Meet us right in the dark spaces, Lord. Bring your presence. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you need to, to sit in this space for a few extra minutes, sit in this space. Don't feel like you need to run away from this. If you want to, we're going to sing a song here together. If you want to sing the song together, you can join us in singing. You can stand or sit or whatever you want to do and join us in this song. But feel free to either sing with us or sit in the space and just spend some time picturing Jesus coming into whatever, wherever you're at and meeting you there. After the song, I'll come back up and I'll give a benediction. Thank you for the benediction here. <clears throat> Praying, my prayer for you today is that you would experience the joy of God, that you experience the joy of the Lord as the Son of Righteousness comes with healing in His wings right into your dark. Great joy of Jesus as He meets you right in the darkest space and as His light shines in that space. I do pray, Lord, that you would, if there is a struggle, if there's a difficulty, if there is hope deferred or joy that has been flickering for so long in the darkness, if there's a space there that needs healing, Lord, I pray that you bring healing. Body, soul, and spirit, Lord, heal our minds and our hearts and our physical bodies. Would you bring healing? Would you bring deliverance? Uh, from wrong thinking, from traumatic events? Would you bring deliverance from those things that, that hold the people back? God, would you bring salvation to those who don't know you yet, that they would give their lives over to you and invite you into their heart to live for you, Jesus, and experience your presence. God, we pray for breakthrough in whatever space that we need breakthrough. And But above all of that, Jesus, we just pray that you would meet us in the dark spaces, that we would know you. And as we know you and we see you and we experience you, that you would continue to carry us through whatever it is that we're going through. God, that your name would be made great as the world sees how we cling to you, Jesus. God, we hold out hope still as well. We hold out joy still today. God, for your return, for when you're coming back, Jesus. Help us to experience your joy right now. And so I pray that the Lord would bless you that the Lord would keep you, that the Lord would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
In Jesus Christ's awesome and powerful name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but I encourage you, if you want to linger for a little longer, you can linger here. If you want someone to pray with you, grab the person next to you to pray with you or come up front. I'd love to pray with you up here. But whether you're staying or going, go in the joy of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.